listening to Fan Holes, shiniest podcast in the whole rotten verse. Shankshow. Glad to have you with us this week. We have a very special episode for you tonight. We are doing the Gestinction Agenda. Oh yeah, it's back and it's green. I don't know. But no, it's part four. This week we have a very awesome show. Uh, we have some special guests for you. Are Andrew Marnick and Michael C. Doherty. In case you may not know who these uh, gentlemen are, they are doing a Firefly slash Serenity fan-based movie. It's already on the uh, convention circuit right now. It's called Brown Coats Redemption. Very excited to have him here with us this week. To just get everything started off so we can just jump right into the questions. I'm not even going to tease you with what we're going to ask them. I'm just going to get in and get everybody to shout out that we're all here. I am Tony, and I am here. Hey, what's up? This is Derek WC. Somebody tries to shoot you, you shoot him right back. Hey, this is Michael, and there's people going to die. This is Justin, and no power in the verse can stop me. And I swear by my pretty floral bonnet, I will end you. Let's go ahead and get into this. Mike, I think we're just going to start off with you, man. Why don't you throw your question out there? All right, guys. How did this project get started? How did how did you guys decide, you know, Michael in particular, how did you decide, you know, I want to make a Firefly film, basically? I'll be honest. I'd never made a film before. I'd never written a script. You know, it was always one of those, like, armchair directors going, I could do it better. About 2008, Stephen Fisher, one of the producers, came to me and said, hey, have you ever thought of doing a Firefly fan film? And I'm like, nope, we're doing it, and we're doing it right now. And literally, that's how it started. I mean, no forethought, <laughs> no planning or anything. So as time slowly goes on, I kind of get involved with CSTS, and I meet Mr. Uh, Andrew Lewis Marnick, who's on here with us. And, and he was the editor for a lot of the Can't Stop the Serenity stuff, which is a charity showing nationwide, actually globally now, of Serenity, where all the proceeds go to help Equality Now. And he had done some video editing for them before. And I was like, you know what? You're my editor, and you're stuck with me. And it's been a fun ride ever since. <laughs> he calls it fun. <laughs> uh, it's been great ever since. So I, I was uh, going to say, everyone everyone who, who doesn't edit calls it fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, about trying to figure out how to get this whole project off the ground is, is, quite, is quite a remarkable one. I mean, it's spanned everywhere, so... <laughs> So, yeah, we, we started with social media on Twitter and Facebook and put pages up and tried to see if people were interested and got a lot of interest. And uh, I wrote the script and decided we were going to do a table read to what sounds good in your head when you're reading your own words. It doesn't always sound good when it sounds coming out of somebody's mouth. And I didn't want to wait till we had actors to figure it out. So we put a call out on Facebook and Twitter, and we invited people to a table read where they got to come and everybody got to play a part in reading the script, and they read it like a radio play. And then 33 people showed up. From there, every single person stayed on the project, and then we put a call out and said, you know, we need extras and actors. And our first weekend of filming in Frontiertown, Maryland, uh, which is a Western theme park, we had 160 volunteers show up from all over the U.S. and Canada on their own dime to be a part of it. That's awesome. How about the um, calling of the office, Mike? To because uh... Mike, Mike actually has a very it's a it's a very distinct name in Hollywood, which is kind of nice. Mike, there's also another Michael Doherty who wrote. Uh, what did he write, Mike? X, he wrote X2, right? And Superman Returns? He wrote uh, X-Men 2, Superman Returns. He wrote and directed the new that Halloween trick-or-treat movie. Oh, right, right. So uh, what ended up happening is in 2008 when we decided to start doing this, I'm like, all right, we're going to get permission because we're raising money for charity. Steve's a capitalist, and I'm an idealist, and he's like, well, we got to make money. And I'm like, can't because it's a derivative works project, and we'll get sued. So that banter went back and forth several times, and I'm like, fine, we're just going to raise money for charity, and that's how we're going to do it. 
So I called Fox and Universal, and they were like, as long as you're not raising, or as long as you're raising money for charity and not making a profit, go have fun with your little fan film. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, so we've got to call Joss, because if we can get their permission, we need to get his. So he was filming Dollhouse in L.A., and I'm like, all right, so I call Fox Studios, and I'm like, hi, this is Michael Doherty. I need to speak to Joss Whedon, please. <laughs> yes, hold. So I get put on hold, and then two seconds later, somebody else picks up, and I do the same thing again. And on the fifth one, I hear, uh, hi, this is Tim in production. How can I help you? I'm like, that's okay. Uh, Tim, I need Joss Whedon, please. I need Joss's office. This is Michael Doherty. He's like, uh, yeah, sure. Okay, hold on. So he puts me on hold, and this happens two more times, and I finally get Natalie, who was Joss's assistant on the show, and uh, I give her the pitch and tell her what's going on, and I did it in about 15 seconds. So after I stopped breathing and she started laughing, she's like, all right, send me everything in an email and, and you know, tell me what you need, and I'll give it to Joss. So come to find out that Tim that answered the phone on the fifth call was Tim Minear, the executive producer of Firefly. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because I've seen his name in, like, the credits and, you know, the credits yeah. of, like, Buffy and Angel and all that, so. And the only reason that I, I, I got through is because I said my name is Michael Doherty, which it is, but Michael Doherty, who wrote Superman Returns and X-Men 2, was on contract with 20th Century Fox, and they just thought it was him. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So that's, that's how things came to be, and then about a month and a half later, we got an email that says, uh, Josh says he thinks it's cool and you have his blessing, but he can't speak for anybody else that might take issue with it. So I was like, perfect! And then in 2010, I met Josh at Comic-Con, and he autographed that, which kind of like, you know, after filming the movie and releasing it in September 2010, that kind of sealed the deal that everything was shiny. Nice. And you actually just got to see him again not too long ago in uh, in L.A. in June to, uh, yeah, to, bring him, to bring him a nice big check. We did. We did a check presentation for $12,000 to Joss and Equality Now at the California Los Angeles uh, Can't Stop the Serenity event that happened on June 25th. So we got on stage, and Heather and I, who was the lead actress, presented Joss and the ladies from Equality Now a check, and that was really cool. Cool. Is it, is it okay if I just imagine you guys actually just both walking into this giant palatial estate, and Josh is at the end of this giant buffet table in a leather jacket with a wine goblet going, Oh, so you wish to dance around in the universe I've created, eh? <laughs> you know, I I thought that was probably going to be the way things go. I was ready to genuflect and bow and beg for forgiveness and whatever. But uh, uh, ultimately, what kind of won him over for us, I believe, is the fact that we didn't use his characters. We didn't touch his babies at all. We kind of created new characters and new worlds. Uh, and just continue after Serenity, which is something he hasn't really wanted to focus on. He really wants to focus between Firefly and Serenity that time period, which is why you'll notice a lot of the comics come out that focus on that. Yeah. So the fact that we, you know, didn't try to do some massive history change like most fan films try to do, and we kept it small, and the story really is kind of like Firefly. Like, if you watch the episodes, the, the, epi the story they have, they don't make big changes in the universe until the movie. They make these small changes that really just affect the characters, and that's kind of what we were going for. Yeah, more of a character-based kind of storyline. Yeah, I mean, that something that at the end of it, it collapsed on itself. So, you know, if whatever Joss wants to do, it's logically within where the story would be for that time period, and we don't have to worry about getting Joss too much. Well, I mean, that kind of actually leads into uh, the next question, which is actually mine. You have kind of gone over some of this, both of you, but it was more or less like, you know, you have told us how you've gotten involved with the project a little bit. But the fans may not know who uh, are not aware of this project. What exactly are both your roles in this uh, production? Uh, well, as I am writer, director, producer, marketer, promoter, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the, the jackass who's responsible for it. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. And what, what am I oh, now, Mike? Am I the editor? And uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing some of the PR stuff, I guess. You're I'm editing trying. PR. You got to do sound editing. That's kind of cool. Like you, you, yeah. Everybody on this project wears multiple hats. I was set designer, too. I built um, – we actually have a small cameo from Sonny Rhodes, the guy that uh, wrote the uh, Firefly theme music. And oh, cool. Yeah, he actually made an appearance in the film, and he got to sit in front of this Indian art-looking kind of Japanese-style wall. So I got to build that before he showed up, and uh, a little little piece of me made it into the film too. So I'm happy. Yeah, I so wanted to I wanted to mention, uh, sorry, Tony. I, I just wanted to mention, like I was I was talking with Andrew the other night, and I was really impressed. Like I, I was like, oh, you guys like you guys got actors that you know with all the cameos of like Nesca and the twins, and I was like, those guys really like looked like the real guys. And Andrew was like, those were the real guys, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, we, we even got a thirty second cameo from Adam Baldwin in there, which was kind of cool. That I that I missed actually. I got to go back and check for that. So uh, what you what you want to look for is, and I'm, this isn't giving anything away. When when Laura goes to call Stevens, there's a guy that that says, you know, please hold. Pay oh yeah, okay, yeah. Pay attention to what he does after he delivers his lines. So that's that's the cameo that you want to look for. Okay. Yeah, um, he's only uh, he's only on for what less than five seconds, but it's one of those yeah. moments. It's certainly a Joss inspired moment where. I'll, I'll say that, that the moment is very sad leading up to it. Then suddenly you see his face and everybody, at least when people saw it in the theaters or at the premiere and such, and there was just a huge, huge roar in the uh, in the theater. So Yeah, it's like we, we get people crying at this like heartbreaking story. And then it's, uh, oh, by the way, here's a little bit of humor to kind of take you out of the moment. <laughs> yeah, the, the interesting thing about that is he was supposed to come out when we first started filming, and everybody wasn't sure if Chuck was going to get renewed. And he had actually asked Brian Weiser, who's one of the other producers, who happens to be the producer of Done the Impossible, if he could be involved. And then uh, Adam was supposed to originally do a cameo at the beginning, where he kind of plays Jane for about 30 seconds, and Laura bangs, gets into a fight with a guy at the bar, and he kind of says nice and walks off, and then... Chuck got renewed, so that got postponed, and we weren't ever able to have him out while during filming schedule. So uh, in November of 2009, after we filmed everything, we saw him at Creation because we have on the DVD a bunch of bonus interviews for um, Alan Sudik, or not Nathan, but uh, a bunch of the guys from Firefly, including cast crew and, and everybody in between. And he's just like, let's just do this cameo, and then we kind of worked him in there. We actually got uh, also Greg Edmondson, who did the score for Firefly for the series. We actually, he um, wrote a track for the film, which is in there, so. That's cool. It seems to lend a, like, I think, like, the music always lends a good air of, of credibility to to projects, you know, because you, you get that sort of in your blood, and it's familiar to you and stuff more than, uh, you know, it sets up the, the sort of atmosphere and everything. No, I was going to say the, the biggest compliment that we've gotten so far uh, happened to come from Lonnie Pestron, who is the visual effects supervisor for Firefly and Serenity. And he's just, we did a presentation at South by Southwest, and he stood up at the end and just said, you know, I want to tell you guys, nailed the tone, you nailed the, the universe, this is this is Firefly. And when somebody who's worked on it that heavily and that involved kind of says something like that, it just shows that all the hard work for a bunch of volunteers really means something. Well, that's got to be a good feeling, you know. You feel like you, you, you've sort of achieved a goal and a plateau that you kind of were striving to reach for yourselves. Yeah, I mean, you, you 
always think that you're going to try to achieve it, but I think with the reaction that we're getting from a lot of people, I think we exceeded it and didn't even realize it. Definitely, yeah. So how did you guys first get into Firefly? Uh, I watched when it was on TV in 2002. I saw all 10 episodes, followed it all over the place, got really, really pissed off when it didn't come back on, waited until the DVDs came out, got those. Uh, saw Serenity opening weekend in a theater near me and kind of been in love with the damn thing ever since. How about you, Andrew? When was uh, when were you first introduced? Uh, to actually, I had uh, well, I was actually at film school when it when it originally aired, so my schedule was all kinds of crazy. I was working, you know, nights uh, in between classes, things like that. So, I a couple of friends of mine had actually mentioned um, that they were really digging this Cowboys in Space TV show, and I suddenly kind of went, well, "Really? Like Cowboys in Space? I really didn't seem all that interested." Lo and behold, uh, I came around. Uh, a couple of years later, with uh, a couple of friends who said, you've never seen Firefly? And I said, no. And so I uh, went to a local video store, found it, found the whole series for, you know, 20, 25 bucks, and picked up a copy, and I've just been watching it ever since. Heard about Serenity, went crazy for that. Then, uh, you know, I ended up working on the um, Can't Stop the Serenity events for uh, two years, and then suddenly saw this Facebook page come up that said, Brown Coats Redemption. And so I sent them a quick message saying, hey, if you guys need any uh, need any editing or rudimentary, you know, special effects, you know, things like that, I'd love to help. How long was it? 45 minutes later, Mike, that uh, he sent me a message yeah. saying, can, can you uh, can you show me uh, some of your work? So I sent him some documentaries that I had done, a couple of corporate videos, things like that. And before you know, we were on a conference call two days later discussing the entire project. So That's yeah, great. I, I tend to be the Mr. Universe of the project. So it's like I. I get the Google alert updates for all different variations of the terms, Brown Coast Redemption, and get all the, yeah, I'm overly connected when it comes to this film. Can't stop the signal. <laughs> no. So we normally do something where we sort of go through a round table and sort of ask everybody on the show questions, and so this kind of is just a general question, I guess, for everybody to sort of share or to relate but uh, we were just going to ask, uh, who is your favorite character in Firefly, and do you have a favorite episode, a particular episode that you really like that stands out to you? For me, I would have to say, man, that's always a tough one because I'm, I'm torn between two. I really like Wash because that's kind of who I saw myself growing up to be, the guy who kind of deflects everything with humor rather than really dealing with it. And then I kind of I come to understand Mal a little bit better, mainly through this project. Yeah, that's not fair because those are my two favorite ones too. <laughs> and I did the uh, the quizzes like which Firefly character are you? And I did both. Uh, you know, I did uh, um, I did I did it twice, and one one time it came up Mal, one time it came up Wash. I, I consistently give Mal, which worries me. <laughs> I can definitely see. I mean, it, it it had to have been a tough process to make you know this tortured war veteran kind of be the father of this family and. It, it it just took some of Joss's great uh, great writing and then the dynamic between all the other characters, but I'd have to say that um, that definitely Mal is my favorite. So episode, I'd say um, let's see, I would definitely say Out of Gas, without a doubt. Just the way that it was shot, the way the way it was lit, it was just fantastic. I couldn't get enough of that episode. Yeah, and again, you stole mine, so we're even. <laughs> <laughs> great minds think alike, apparently. Well, I was I was gonna say like oh I bet everyone's gonna pick out of gas so like I I just I just decided to go with Jane's Town but uh, yeah out of gas I'd say is like the 
in general, like, best episode of the series. But I, I went with Janestown just because I was going to say Jane is probably my favorite character in the series. So, uh, yeah, it's a, just a great episode. And, you know, I like Jane just because uh, I, I always like the wild card character, like, where you don't know where he's going to, like, stand and fall. And, like, Jane's like a, like, I, Derek, I think you said, like, last podcast, like, you call it, like, the Magneto character. But, like, Jane's, like, a, like, inverse of that. He's, like, a dumb wild card character. <laughs> so it's, like, wherever he falls, it's, like, it, it never ends up the way he wants it, so. I always kind of thought he was just, like, complete, what is it, id? Like, where you just, you are whatever it is you're thinking, and, like, he's on his sleeve at all times. Heart's on the sleeve and brain's on the sleeve, and, like, you don't have to question where you stand with Jane. And that was uh, good, bad, indifferent, or otherwise. Yeah, I just like those kind of characters where it's like they have no filter between their mouth and their brain, so they just kind of say whatever pops in there, <laughs> whether, whether yeah. it's good or bad or, you know, it's controversial. But uh, for favorite episode, I would probably go with either Ariel or Trash. Like, I really enjoy those two. Those are the fun iced ones, yeah. Yeah, I really I really liked uh, Our Mrs. Reynolds. Like, I, I, I always thought that was kind of like a fun episode. And then because I was saying that one Mal line, I just I always kind of like that line, <laughs> especially where. He's just kind of like, hey, if somebody tries to shoot you, you 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 shoot them right back, you know. Like, <laughs> like I, I always enjoyed that a lot. So my favorite line from that episode is, "Oh yeah, yeah, I hit my head too." <laughs> <laughs> I love Spe- the special level of hell one with uh, yeah, special hell. <laughs> that one's just so great, especially when he's leaning around the corner. Yeah, he just, just pokes out. Yeah, yeah. The special, special hell level, and then, yeah, and then walks away. And I think I think around that time that was when they were. I mean, at least to me, it seems like that was when they were really getting the, the, their pace for the series, where it started to really come on, and you know, you started it started to become a well balanced episode. That's definitely the one that I think is where they started to to get that. So because I've always noticed when I've recommended it to people and such, they'll um, I'll always tell them give it until um, our Mrs. Reynolds. And then once they do, then it's good. Everybody goes for it and keeps watching. I actually had a general question for you two guys. Do you guys, like, do you guys, like, whenever I hear, like, I, I talk to someone who's, like, a casual, like, not a casual, but they like, they've watched Firefly and they watch Serenity and, you know, they, they, they like it and they're not a, like, super fan of it, but they like it. Um, whenever I ask them what do you guys like think of Serenity, I, I a lot of people say, oh, I didn't like Serenity. And I'm always like, why didn't you like Serenity? And their answer is always, oh, because they killed Wash and Book Off. And, you know, I always say, like, you know, oh, yeah, well, it sucks that they died, but that doesn't make it a bad movie. I was wondering, like, if you guys experienced that, too, or do you have similar feelings or what? Yeah, I know a lot of the New England brown coats. I just recently relocated to the um, Pacific Northwest, but I know a lot of, of very even diehard Firefly fans that still don't like Serenity because because of that fact. And a lot of it, they just don't, you know, a lot of it, they didn't want to see. Uh, I think a lot of it was bringing the realization that this this is their only shot, you know, for anything else. So. Yeah, I understand that. It's just, it seems weird to me just because, you know, like, I have a friend who will be like, oh, I hate, you know, Star Trek Nemesis because they kill Data in it. And I'm like, well, Star Trek Nemesis is a pretty bad movie otherwise. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you can hate that for other reasons than that. But I, I'm like, I like Serenity. I think it's a great movie, and it sucks that those characters died. And it's like well, really... To me, it kind of feels like you're saying, like, I hate... Wrath of Khan because they killed Spock and you're yeah. like, but Wrath of Khan's like the best one, you know. Like, yeah, 
<laughs> well, I think for me, it's uh, I like Serenity, and I, I like Serenity from because I understand the storytelling point of view. I mean, when you get to the end of the movie, if he just got if he had killed Book right towards the end, the way he killed Wash, and Wash would have stayed alive. You know, just like you know what, mm, Book's really kind of hardly ever there anyway, so they're gonna make it. Like he really needs to put the cards down and show that. I think, like Andrew said, like there's no way out. Like it's almost as if this is going to end it all. Like I know when I first watched it, I'm like, holy shit, he's gonna kill everybody in this movie. And on one hand, you're like, that'd be fucking awesome. But on the other hand, you're watching characters that you've loved for eight years on the screen, and and it's almost like you know, hearing a family member die for some people. Actually, um, a funny a funny story about that. I remember when I saw Serenity in the theater, and they're into the big crash. I actually had to go to the bathroom really, really bad. <laughs> so I just kind of went, ah, it's a crash. They'll make it out of the crash. And I went to the bathroom and came back, and it was just kind of like, wait, what? What? <laughs> you know, like so it's kind of funny. So the first time I watched it, I actually like missed the the sort of key moment. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that. I was gonna say, uh, I actually saw Serenity before I saw the series, but like I still did like a you know the sharp intake of breath when like Wash died because I like I just liked him from the first like the whole first hour and a half that that movie had been running. So. Yeah, it's uh, for me, I like it, but here's what people fail to realize. There's this whole episode called The Message where, you know, one of Mal and Zoe's guys comes back and he's had his guts completely scooped out from the inside and replaced, and he's a carrier. And if they can do that, and Josh is notorious for killing Buffy three times and bringing her back, <laughs> I'm fairly certain there's a way that he could cleverly return the characters to you know, the universe and, yeah. and do some fun with it. I mean, that's just me. It's like, you also have to keep in the back of your head. It's Joss Whedon. He will kill people just to mess with you. Like, he <laughs> killed Penny. Yeah. Killed Penny. Like he keeps killing Buffy. He's, he's killed so many different people for no reason. Just to be like, Oh, you really like, Oh, they got to die. Yeah. So, yeah. That kind of, that kind of makes me think of he Fred. Always, he always, like, ki- yeah, Fred or, you know, well, uh, it seems like in the first season of, of all the shows, he kills somebody. So maybe if Firefly had went a whole season, you know, Wash or and or Book would have died anyway. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would have been a Joss Whedon movie had somebody did not die. And that yeah. was probably the worst English language sentence I've ever said. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what did you guys work on before uh, Brown Cove's Redemption? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Andrew? That's it. I'd um I'd worked on some uh, some small documentaries, a couple of short films, you know, mostly a lot more writing. I did a little bit of acting here and there, but um, I had originally been working at a studio as a shooter and editor, and finally uh, heard about the project, and finally, you know, I did a lot more corporate stuff. You know, I didn't have a chance to dip into narrative all that much, so finally, I saw this opportunity and just said, "Hey, and it's Firefly." So I said, uh, "How could I pass this up? I got to try to get this." So. So we know we know that you've briefly mentioned the sort of uh, you know capitalism versus charity kind of talks that you had before this started, but kind of leading into that, maybe you could just tell the the listeners that we have like what your ultimate goal for the Browncoats Redemption is in terms of the you know the charities and who you're giving stuff out to and, and trying to collect money for and things like that. Absolutely. So um, in doing this and realizing it was going to be for charity, it didn't make sense. Kind of attaching or tying charities to a Firefly-verse product that had nothing to do with anybody in the show or the series. 
whether your listeners are aware of it or not, the Firefly cast and crew, including Joss himself, are very, 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 very big into charity and charity work and all that other fun stuff that goes along with it. So we, we found that, you know, five of the cast members, including Joss, uh, were really big into the, the charity, so we chose those, which were Quality Now, which is Joss's charity, Kids Need to Read, which was co-founded by Nathan Fillion, Kids Need to Read, which is already been said, <laughs> which is Joel State's chosen charity, Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation, which is Adam Baldwin's charity, and Al Wooten Jr. Heritage Center, which is a uh, youth center for inner-city youth in Los Angeles, which Ron Glass sits on the board of. Uh, the initial goal of the project, when I was a lofty first-time filmmaker who was like, I will take over the world, uh, was <laughs> to do exactly the what the uh, opening weekend sales of the collector's edition of Serenity did, which was they did 32,000 units and were DVDs in one weekend. And I'm like, well, if, we could, if they did that in a weekend, we could do that in a year, which I thought was reasonable. Um, of course, I had no idea what I was doing. But in that time, we have mo- donated uh, over $60,000 in charity since September 1st, 2010, and we're on track, if we continue the way we are, to do over 100000 after the project ends September 1st. Wow, that's terrific. That's, that's congratulations. That's a Thank good... Thank you. Uh, well, this is the first time in history a fan film has ever been able to do anything like this. Normally, properties like fan films are either made on the quiet, on the down low, so that you know friends and people on YouTube know about it, mess about it, but never is are they ever allowed or supposed to be allowed to raise money in any way, whether it's for charity or for themselves or to recoup costs. Uh, normally a fan film is completely out of love and for zero profit, and that's exactly what ours was, too. I mean, we only got paid back what we put out, so it was like going to Vegas. You go to Vegas with $1,000, you know you're going to lose it, and hopefully by the end you make enough back to go home with $1,000 you came with. Uh, and we got really fortunate because we went above that and continued to give money to charity. Well, so it's always nice to beat the house, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and when your house is Fox and, and you're, the game you're playing is Firefly, it's always nice to win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to kill us. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. It's like they, they really – we got a handshake agreement with them in 2008 on what we can and can't do. Like we were only allowed to do DVDs, and the Blu-rays kind of qualify as a DVD, but we couldn't release scores, and we couldn't do digital downloads, and – the only time we could show it is when it's attached to a convention or we're physically present putting the event on. So, like, we couldn't enter film festivals, and we can't just randomly show it around the U.S. without having a reason or a purpose. And most theaters won't give you their space for free to show it. So with all of that and just word of mouth and conventions alone, Brown Coach Redemption has shipped to every continent in the United States as of this week. Or not in the United States, every continent in the world. <laughs> that would be awesome if we have, you know, continents in the U.S. But, um, <laughs> like it's Pangea, it's everybody. <laughs> it's Pakistan. Uh, <laughs> we could we could probably fit Australia in here, maybe. <laughs> you can cradle it in uh, next to Florida a little bit. Come on over. So yeah, I mean, but it's just one of those things that uh, nobody ever. I got told flat out to my face for the first year of this project, even while we were filming, that it would never see the light of day. And it would get shut down, and nobody would support it. And yeah, I'd like to say a big thank you to all of those people. <laughs> Non-believers. 
like I said, I, I'm I'm the only one here who, aside from you two, obviously, who has seen it. But I was like super, really impressed after watching it. Like I was like, wow, this was you know, it really like like you said, like the guy the the guy who gave you the compliment said it really felt like Firefly. So you know, kudos to you guys. Thank you. Um, actually, I wanted to ask, like, I guess this is a question more directed towards Andrew, but, um, what, what, what's, uh, you know, what, what was like the differences between like, you know, working on something like on like a fan film and like something that's like, you know, I guess I should say like professionally done, like, or like you said, corporate stuff, you know? Um, well, corporate stuff tends to just be a a little bit more paint by numbers. It's kind of, you know, there's a lot of stuff you just look at and say, oh, right about, you know, right now is when this should be happening or is when this piece of the voiceover. And a lot of it is if there's a voiceover, there needs to be something on the screen that reflects what is being said in the voiceover. So things like that. With um, with an actual narrative, I mean, you have a lot, a lot more freedom. So with that, I mean, it's a matter of, you know, as if you watch the film, I mean, a lot of the biggest, the biggest uh, challenge for this for this film, uh, uh, first of it, first of all, it being you know a Firefly film, where it's a film where the fandom is so dedicated and so intense because they love their family that they watch on their TV. It was a, a tough job to to recreate a whole new family and get the audience to recognize that and actually appreciate it and welcome it into the universe. So that was, I mean, that was my sole job. I felt. After looking at all the footage, I said, I just, this is my biggest task is to make this group that's on the screen a family, make it feel like a family for the audience so that they could actually, so they'd walk out and say, you know, that is part of the Firefly verse. It is. Did you ever have any, not issues, but like, you know, did any of the actors maybe at certain points maybe kind of ape a certain type of portrayal, maybe a little too close to like, they like say something that's like, Man, you sound just like Mal there, you know, or like maybe like, oh, there's a little bit of Jane kind of creeping into the performance. Like, was that ever like an issue or did you guys just go like, hey, that's kind of cool, actually? Uh, no, I mean, what, when I wrote the script, I was like, OK, if this starts to sound too much like one of the characters, it's got to go. So I was very conscious of that from the beginning, that I didn't want to do carbon copies of, you know, Mal or, or Jane or any of those guys. I mean, it's you, you can't really hold a mirror up to those guys and do any justice in any way, yeah. shape, or form. And that's my opinion. When we the guys started acting, we got really lucky. We got a bunch of talented people who, two of them had never watched Firefly before, and the rest had been you know, fans of Firefly, but were not necessarily intimidated, but kind of very much respecting the way that the characters from the TV show worked and behaved. And they understood that the family aspect had to come first, but they had to make these characters their own, which was it, two weeks into rehearsal, and that was it. I mean... One of the bonus features we have on the remastered edition is that you can see the people portraying their character for the first time in a cold read during their audition. And you can kind of start seeing right away that these guys weren't, you didn't have a worry if they were going to try to be Mal or try to be Jane. I mean, from day one, they were the character that we cast them for. I always like seeing the uh, special features of things like that, whether it's a, you know, it's a screen test or, you know, like you're saying, it's a table reading of the script and everything. I think that's always really something neat to see. I think that's cool that 
DVDs have uh, extra features like that for for fans that want to check those out. But speaking of like, uh, I guess being fans and everything, you know, obviously we talked about Joss Whedon and how you guys got his permission for everything and, you know, wanted his blessing and stuff. And we, we sort of talked a little bit about Buffy and Angel. But uh, just, you know, for our podcasts, you know, we're all a bunch of nerds and we love uh, Joss a lot. And so we were just curious, like, are you guys fans of other, you know, things that he's worked on, whether it be, you know, Buffy, Angel, Dollhouse? Or are you guys looking forward to, say, the Avengers film that's going to come out pretty soon or anything like that? I'm, I've honestly been a huge fan of Joss's work without realizing it right off the bat. I was a huge fan of Roseanne. I loved Toy Story. I loved a lot of the stuff that he worked on that I wasn't even aware of. I, I you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the original movie, is a guilty pleasure of mine. It's <laughs> With just, Luke it's Perry. Like, it's ni- yeah, I mean, it's, it's also like 1970s campy Batman type fun. It's not, you're not watching it going, wow, this is going to change my life. You're like, wow, this is an hour and a half where I don't have to think about the real world for a minute. And, by the way, Buffy's hot. <laughs> but then I found out that, you know, all of my favorite episodes on Roseanne were written by Joss, and that Joss wrote Toy Story, the movie, and I was just like, holy shit, like, the things that, once I figured out who he was, because I kind of found him first through Firefly, then went back to Buffy and kind of worked backwards from there, the things that I realized I really liked about, you know, shows or things were already connected to him. I'm super excited for Avengers. I mean, I already know that he's gotten a little bit of wording in on Thor, and a little bit more on Captain America to kind of bring everything together, so I'm after seeing Firefly and the way he works with a group of people, I have no doubt that he won't be able to handle it. How about you, Andrew? I mean, have you been exposed to a lot of Joss's other work? Are there things you're a big fan of uh, in particular besides Serenity and Firefly? Um, I did. I did try to watch Buffy. I think I watched it a bit too late to fully get into it. A lot of people always tell me, oh, I'll go back to it and try to watch it. But I've tried. And I think had I watched it when I was a bit younger, I would have taken a lot more away from it. I don't know. I could always give it a second shot to see where it goes. Usually any time I watch Toy Story now, I'll always be able to pick out those Joss lines and say he put that, you know, he was the guy that brought it in, that brought in the adult humor to make it be well-balanced so that any person of any age will under will laugh at different parts, but will overall all love the movie. I did enjoy Dollhouse a lot. I thought that was a good series. There could have been, a, you know, a lot more put into it, but um, I'm pretty sure that Joss, you know, had had a bit of a, a lot of fights to get through. Never watched Angel, and I definitely think, I mean, if there's anybody that knows how to handle ensemble casts, it's definitely Joss for something like the Avengers. I think it's just going to put him right back, you know, right back on the map and just say, you know, who knows? Maybe a couple of producers are going to come up to him and say, so Joss, what are you thinking for your next project? And maybe he'll say, funny, I was thinking about a family trying to survive out in space on a ship. I don't know, maybe you guys want to do something. Well, that, and I mean, he completely rewrote the internet um, business model for for um, short films and such with Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, because I thought that was just hysterical. Yeah, that so, was very, very funny, yeah. And it's, I mean, it was just a great idea, a great, you know, great execution during the, uh, the writer's strike and all that. So I thought, I mean, he, as a writer, he brought a lot to the table and said, look, this is how things can happen now if, you know, producers and everybody else wanted to listen. So, yeah, speaking of the Avengers, we were also talking about, or we were actually thinking of asking um, if you guys are fans of any of the comics work that Joss has done. Like, he he had a run on Astonishing X-Men and some other Marvel books like Runaways. And then, like, I I think Michael mentioned the Serenity comics 
from uh, earlier in the podcast, and we were just curious if, if you guys had any exposure to that, if, if that was at all, um, you know, influential in, in maybe uh, creating, you know, your own characters, maybe in, in uh, Browncoat's Redemption, you know, giving you things to springboard off of. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge comic book nut. I've been collecting comics since I was a little kid, and I can actually remember when, like, comics were 75 cents to a dollar, which is retired. Yeah. Um, uh, and just kind of want to feel sick every time I see like a two ninety nine comic. I'm like, really? My childhood cries for you. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, with Joss, I was a huge fan of his X Men run. I really hope they bring Runaways to the big screen with Joss at the helm, like I've heard they're going to do. I I looked at everything for Firefly, whether it was the comics by Dark Horse, the novelization. Uh, of Serenity, the screenplays, like I really just read my head and filled it full of everything that could be a Firefly. So I, to the point that I'm like, wow, I'm kind of a historian that I'm something I never thought of anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, that was, if you ever go back and read anything that he's done, he has this really interesting sense of what it is to be a group of people who are not blood related but are a complete family whether it's toy story whether it's the x-men or runaways or firefly or buffy i mean all of his his families are dysfunctional and they're, but they're great and he's got that amazing ability to tell those stories that definitely shows up a lot yeah in his work yeah the whole uh fractured group of people that come together when it really counts and all that I also I, I also want to say uh, Whedon deserves a little bit of flack though because uh, I always like to bring this up. He was apparently responsible for the line in the first X Men movie. Um, you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Apparently, he wrote that line and he he he, he apologized for it too. I don't Sorry. think anybody thought anybody could have thought Halle Berry could deliver that line as badly as she did, though. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. Alan Tudyk would have killed that line. Yeah. But <laughs> I think she was too busy trying to make sure her accent was straight, then you know, make sure lines were delivered properly. I think Alan Tudyk would have been a better Storm too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta agree with you. I, you know, put him in a white wig and some dark makeup. I think he's doing fine. Well, if if if. Joss or anybody ever bothers to listen to this, Alan Tudyk for Ant Man, please. Whenever, whenever, <laughs> however that could possibly happen, I think he'd be the most awesome Hank Pym ever. So just throwing that out there. I'd really like to see uh, Alan Baldwin as Colossus. <laughs> yeah, that not could just because the man is like six foot five and like huge, but I, I think he just. Yeah, he would tower over everybody in the scene. He's got the ability to kind of do the big range, and I, I would love to see it. Or Juggernaut. Or Juggernaut. You know, like Adam Baldwin <laughs> for Juggernaut, 2012. <laughs> Adam Baldwin for anything, really. Exactly. Except porn. That's not something I want to see. <laughs> no, probably not, no. Like, he did, he even did, like, even, like, his voice acting work, I love. Yeah, he, uh, he does a lot of voices and a lot of cartoons and stuff like that. He was a really good Superman. I was surprised. Yeah, I actually liked him in the the Doomsday movie. Yeah, he was prob that was probably like one of the few redeeming points of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's not forget that, or even acknowledge the fact that they got rid of the other four Superman storyline while Superman was dead. But and then then don't get me started on Bubblegum and and Tar and. <laughs> 
stuff. <laughs> Again, <laughs> that I still didn't get, even after like listening to the commentary that had to explain how that scene worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because the tar stuck the kryptonite to his chest somehow or something. Yeah, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we could dedicate an entire podcast on ripping that thing apart. <laughs> oh, we 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 have very much uh, discussed dedicating whole podcasts to ripping single things apart before. But luckily, we we have podcasts like these where we can talk about you know good positive stuff like Firefly, and uh, we, it's been a pleasure to talk to both you, Andrew, and you, Michael, about the fan film. And just so everybody knows, they can go to httpbrowncoatsmovie.com, and uh, at, at that website, you'll be able to order the Browncoats Redemption DVD. And then, and then, what's the the statute of limitation on that? Like, when can people? Uh- longer order the dvd the project ends september 1st 2011 so come to you know midnight or 1201 a.m september 1st it'll be no longer available online or anywhere and that's just due to the powers that be that you have one year to do what you're going to do and then have fun so we could really use your listener support in doing the impossible again and over the next 52 days between now and when that time is done is just to try to get the word out as far and wide as possible and get as many people to donate as possible and really just show that people are more willing to give money to charity to see more content in the verse than wait. Well, with 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 our fan base, I can assure you that at least 15 more people have heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really funny, man, because you say 15 people, but you don't know that one, like, number 14 is the person that could be connected to, like, 300 more people that are connected to thousands. It's amazing what one person can do. I I wanted to say, uh, Andrew, I think you said you had uh, a sort of little, like, contest you wanted to promote. We do. Is this going to be, like, the first ever little contest on on fan holes? Yep. Yeah, pretty much, yep. Oh, this is going to be fun. But, no, yeah, we wanted to try a little contest with you guys. We, uh, we're we going to give away a copy of Brown Coats Redemption if one of the listeners can get the answer to this question right. So here it comes. You guys got to be ready. How many baddies appeared in more than one episode of Firefly or other incarnations, either comics, the film, books, etc.? And which were they? So how many? We need a number. And which and uh, which um, which characters were they? So if you guys go to the fan holes page and email them your answers, and it's right, you'll be put in the uh, chance to win. So how many uh, how many villains appeared multiple times? You're saying? Yes, yes. How many baddies appeared in more than one episode of Firefly or the other incarnations, and which were they? Awesome. So send your send your contest entries to fanholespodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we will make sure that your uh, correct answers uh, get sent over to the guys at Browncoats Redemption, and uh, you will have a chance to win a copy of the awesome DVD that we're promoting currently. I just want to thank Andrew and Michael again for joining us. And uh, from all of us at Fanholes, this is uh, Derek WC signing off. Uh, Mike also signing off. And Justin. All right, thanks, guys. Check us out soon. Take care.